Hi, I'm Ricardo Deacon. And I'm Orla McNeilis. Welcome to the Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we recommend films that the other hasn't seen. We watch the film and then we meet to discuss it. This week's film is Orla's pick. It is Le Circle Rouge or The Rouge. Red Circle from 1971, uh, 1970 actually, <laughs> uh, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville, Ooh. produced by Robert Dorfman, written by Jean-Pierre Melville, music by Eric de Marsan, cinematography by Harry de Caille. I don't know how in French is the little two dots over the E. I have no clue either, so let's just go with that. Edited by Mary Sophie Dubus, <laughs> Dublin du- Bus. Dubus. <laughs> uh, cast is Alan Delon as Corey, Andre Borville as Inspector Matei, Jean Maria Volone as Volgo, and Yvonne Montand as Janssen. The IMDb synopsis is After leaving prison, Master Thief Corey crosses paths with a notorious escapee and an alcoholic former policeman. The trio proceed to plot an elaborate heist. Uh, it's <laughs> one of the worst ones because it kind, kind of, of under, misses the entire un- point yeah, of the movie. Yeah, and undersells it completely. It's like, it's a heist movie. Yeah, mm. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> the same way the apocalypse now is about surfing. Um, uh, <laughs> It is, well, you know, like, Charlie, don't surf! Um, um, Orla, uh, this is your pick. Um, yeah. So why did you pick this movie? Uh, well, I thought I'd read straight away from um, the theme of masculinity and uh, <laughs> maleness for too long. So I thought we'd take another trip. Um, <laughs> uh, slightly less alcohol than Wake and Fry. Slightly um yeah i was actually kind of surprised that you hadn't seen this uh so i was like yes <laughs> it's like a real like actually excited um but yeah when i originally watched this um i like i loved it but i watched it i took it kind of as a face value of it's sort of like cold chic cool yeah like you know like that kind of aspect of it and I didn't really read into it, and uh, this is the first Melville film I ever saw as well. Um, so then, whenever I rewatched it years later with like actual, you know, like not just like cinematic knowledge, but that kind of thing of when you sort of gain that uh, not ability, but where you like no matter what you're watching, you're kind of like not reading into it, but you're you're taking you're trying to take more from films than just what is like kind of presented to you. So this is kind of it's like a lot of his films where like what you said there in our intro that it's not really about like the heist or the plot or it he's there's there's something else going on underneath and I just love like this the kind of French take on noir. Like it's so French but so noir at the same time and like so American influence, but at the same time still very French. And I just, yeah, I like, obviously this is, this is my special birthday pick. Um, but, um, and does encapsulate an awful lot of, of it's hitting on an awful lot of the things that I love about certain movies. But um, I thought, cause I know that you like um, the samurai and that you have a serious history with Melville. So I thought that would be kind of interesting to talk about, not just cause I think it's an interesting movie, but in that context as well, that you kind of have that uh, affinity with him. So uh, I was really keen to, to, to hear what you thought of it. So uh, do go on. What? Uh, should I go on? Yes. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, I kind of pissed off with you. Why? Because you picked this movie. <laughs> because uh, I was going to pick for my next one, Army of Shadows, 
which I know you haven't seen. Yeah. Uh, which is one, well, like, eventually I'll pick it. You're not allowed to watch. All right, I'll put um, that on my list of... But it kind of threw me off a bit because obviously can't, we can't do back-to-back Melville. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, he's one of my favorite directors. I think that he's often bunched up with the Nouveau Vague. Uh, yeah. And he's not really a Nouveau Vague filmmaker. Yeah, you understand why that connection's made. Though, yeah, it's so just it's, because it, he was making movies at the same time. And um, that they all obviously worshipped him as well. And like, Yeah, like, he's really far Godard. older than Godard or Truffaut as well. Like, uh, yeah. I think this was his second last movie. Like, he died yeah, in yeah. mid-70s or something. But yeah, like I do have a long history with him. Like, uh, as in, I, I the first movie that I saw of his is like one of the like I have the weirdest introductions to like famous yeah. directors. It was the uh, uh, German occupation of uh, of France movie with Jean Pierre Belmondo playing a priest. Oh, it's one of his early ones. Yeah, then. yeah, it's one of his earlier <laughs> ones. Uh, that's the thing in Uruguay. We used to have like Cinemax, which is the the art house branch of Netflix. HBO. Or, oh, the, yeah, okay. They did, like, the Nick came out on Cinemax yeah, because yeah. it's not really a HBO show. So they would show all these weird movies. That That's how it really got into yeah. this kind of cinema. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, like, uh, you can say, uh, however third world Uruguay is, the cave was far better <laughs> yeah, than here. Yeah, I just used to watch things on Channel 4. I didn't have, like, Cinemax. But yeah, like the the thing with this movie is, uh, I have to be slightly unfair on the movie. Is because, because of Le Samurai. No, it's not because of Le Samurai. It's because of Un Flick. Uh, the okay. uh, translation is a cop, which is the movie that he made with Alain Delon after this one. That hits nearly every single point that he makes in this movie. Yeah. And Un Flick came after, and it is a lesser work than The Circle Rouges. Yeah. But because I've already seen Melvis' take on these themes, it didn't feel as fresh as I think that it would have felt watching it when it came out. Yeah. I think that I saw it in a different order. I have no idea how this movie passed me by. Yeah. Uh, Hence my, my like, <laughs> confusion and excitement. <laughs> but, yeah, like, a, a, it is a cool movie and it's pure Melville. Like, if you don't yeah. like Melville, you're not going to like this movie. Oh, definitely, and yeah. If you... Uh, like him you can't dislike this movie yeah uh, i do think it has some issues that are prevalent in most of his films yeah and uh, uh, with the exception of army of shadows which i think is his most complete movie but it comes from uh the fact that he was a resistance fighter during the second world war yeah which makes him the bravest director almost the <laughs> uh, the novel vague uh but it comes from that place, you know, the right what you know. Yeah. Kind of thing. It, it's it's just that, like, his idea of the world is almost completely shaped by movies. As, as you said, that is, it, like, it, it seems like a Sam Fuller, uh, like, pick up on South Street kind of movie. Yeah. And but also, like, um, he's definitely referenced um, Asphalt Jungle as, because this is, like, even if you look at the plot, I haven't seen Asphalt, Asphalt Jungle but um, if you look at the plot points, even like he's he's it's it's not like it's that it's a remake or whatever, but clearly very, very influential. And he is he is a director that is inc- like incredibly cine literate and uh, very much, you know, it was obviously very 
not like proud of it, but he wore that on his sleeve. Like it was, it's obviously very prominent in his work that, you know, obviously you can compare it to an awful lot of modern filmmakers or even filmmakers of, um, say, Scorsese's generation or whatever, where they are incredibly cine literate themselves and often through American cinema. So kind of that's another tie in with, say, like, um, of, you know, obviously other French and other new wave directors as well, like Goddard, that were all incredibly cine literate and incredibly um, obsessed with American cinema. So um, it's it's interesting. like Yeah, it is. And uh, I think as well, it's that he is a master of uh, building tension in the scene. And like for the, the movie could be played. It is almost a silent movie as it is. But yeah. if you turn the sound completely off, you could almost... Uh, understand exactly what's happening because as well like it's not when you watch a Jean-Pierre Melville movie it's not like the plot makes any yeah. consequence to the movie it's more the the feeling of nihilism and despair that he yeah. that he creates uh, funnily enough that like um, we're recording uh, Happen One Night and this movie back to back well the magic is broken oh god destroyed uh, it, it's that we, I was talking to you after recording happened one night about how happy it made me feel watching <laughs> that movie yeah. and it carried until the Thursday when I watched this I was really tired watching it yeah. and like after Stop work or whatever that. well like sometimes it's like it's the time that I find but in this case it wasn't like it actually made it hit even more really be- because I was actually like I felt the despair of the characters as in like nothing I do matters kind of thing. Yeah, and, the idea uh, of fate. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, I do think that it's a bit bullshit, the the quote that uh, well, uh, Melville he, completely yeah. manufactured in the <laughs> beginning. Apparently he was very prone to that, to like just come, oh, yeah, like, yeah. like just coming out with these like, in, <laughs> yeah, completely like, like, like invented butter quotes. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's the same way uh, of like the Cohen brothers writing uh, in the beginning of Fargo, this yeah. is based on a true story. Just so they could get away with how ridiculous the movie was, <laughs> yeah. and I think that Melville is trying to do that here because the the one of the issues I have with yeah. this movie is that there is one coincidence too many. Yeah, and does it involve a boot? <laughs> no, like not only the the boot. Like the thing is that there's a lot of coincidence that go on, go on, go on, and it's like if you look at any event. Uh, in history even yeah. there's always going to be uh, if you're looking for a pattern there you, you can always find, find them, a pattern yeah. uh, but there's some that make sense for the story of the movie yeah in other words that seem like lazy that instead of using another 10 minutes of screen time or rearranging yeah. the movie uh, it gets in not that you can call Melville a lazy filmmaker but it seems lazy <laughs> In those instances, especially within the setting of this film, because so much of it is so precise. Yeah. So, yeah, like, um, is this, I'm I'm just curious of what you're kind of referencing. Like, is it, because the one thing that I've, is, that's a bit, is the fact that your man obviously is um, uh, the, um, the, what do you call it, the, um, the marksman, the guy that they find, um, that he's a cop. And then obviously that in the end that... Um, uh, Mate, Mate, yeah, Mate, Mate, um, recognizes him, and it's like it's you, and it's not that it's necessarily a coincidence, but it just felt, I don't know, like like they were in the same class, graduating class, and, yeah. But I, 
That's like I don't have an issue with that because it's a, it's something again bringing it back to um flick is that mm. those two movies were a heavy influence on Heat. Yeah. Oh yes. Because it is the the, the two sides, the two sides yeah. of the coin. Well, even that's a, that's a big theme in his films, anyways. Like yeah, even in, like. Uh, but on the the like even the show when the trains arrive it's exactly the same framing as when the Nero arrives in the train station in the beginning of Heat yeah it's like up to that point because again Michael Mann is a very literate uh, yeah. cine literate uh, filmmaker yeah. but like I didn't have an issue with that because it is the the, the side of the two coins uh, that it's like both obsessive film uh, sorry obsessive cops yeah that want to deal with that obsession turned to alcohol and that led to his downfall well Mati like just turned is, into his uh, yeah. uh, into his profession and having his three cats oh instead of a family I living love in that the there room. are two scenes you get two scenes of him with the cats which I fucking love like I love his character anyways because I think that that actor was a comedian um, and yeah. which is great I think because he even though he obviously he, he's playing it completely straight but there are some of the the quite funny moments in this obviously come from him and I take a lot of pleasure in just watching him feeding his incredibly weird cats they're definitely going to eat him whenever he gets found yeah. dead in that apartment but um <laughs> and all like the little names he has for them and everything and how the cats clearly hate him as well because <laughs> he's there like you know oh come on I'm about to feed you now and the cats are just like mm. that's the pick one up but I love as well like that he straight after he has like the routine he feeds them then yeah. open the, and the routine is the only thing keeping him together kind yeah. of thing it's like this lonely lonely life that is the only thing he has is his career yeah and but then you had that weird weird scene when the chief of police asked for his records because he go oh he doesn't look corsican mate is a corsican name and then yeah. that goes nowhere I, like i don't i don't really understand like even because your man as well gets the line about um like oh you know like people are born pure but every man goes bad in the end and it's like yeah, it doesn't quite work or something, and it, like because I, I like that scene and sort of like the the idea of uh, Matteo as well, like that this is kind of his last ditch attempt to like fix the situation that he's let this guy go in what is a fucking brilliant scene. Oh my god, the scene on the train is so good. And the way that it intercuts straight away, oh, you had the mirror image of uh, of uh, Vogel. Uh, trying to sleep in the train cart yeah. and cutting to Alain Delon's uh, Corey uh, yeah. just laying in the in the prison cell yeah. and then it cuts back and because of how the shots are are presented that you don't really realize the that it's a different place yeah. straight away you think that that is you're still in the train yeah because initially because in that you think it's a flashback and in then that scene as well that he like you can't see his face whereas later on you tell they don't look alike but in that especially because your man has a mustache and a mustache is the kind of thing where you can kind of throw you as what exactly your person looks like so initially you think that that's him as well because you can't quite see his face and he's lying down and everything but then it becomes clear that it's a different character um and oh just i love that scene just the the silent tension uh, of like when he does the 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 handcuffs off and he's just holding them so yeah. they won't fall and untying the, the the knot from the top of the the bunk or the bed down and you're like is he gonna uh, strangle the cop yeah. is he, what, what is he gonna do and then <laughs> he just jumps out the window <laughs> after kicking the window down and just likes it and I love as well that the cop is, is like I'm not running after you yeah. I'm too old for this year I'm just gonna shoot at you and then 
and then be like right <laughs> but it's okay because he knows he knows the streets he knows the word on the streets he's gonna like <laughs> he knows the lead that's eventually gonna bring it all together and one of the things that i really liked in this movie is that it is two hours and 20 minutes long but it's the leanest two hours and 20 oh minutes my God. even the the crime that vogel committed is or Corey. like you don't know any backstory you don't get yeah. any uh it's like he was in prison he didn't write out his mob boss but you don't know why he was in prison mm. what happened even Vogel, everybody's asking about Vogel he might be innocent and you don't even know what he did yeah. or what he's been but accused of but I think of. that he he has a strange innocence about him and even like even like his even like it's not just the actor kind of in like his, his his facial expressions and everything he has a strange innocence and even how like um that it, when contrasted with um with Corey where Corey is just ice to the bone like you know and 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 not in a kind of a like inhuman way but just he doesn't he doesn't have the the, like kind of vulnerability that is kind of that seems apparent in um in Vogel and even him saying that um like I'm not I'm not a professional like I'm not you know like I'm I'm not you essentially and I I read in reviewer um uh the guy was like oh they're completely indistinguishable like Vogel and Corey and I was like what <laughs> well, like Alain Delon's only direction seems to have been uh, strut your stuff, cool man. He's just like he kind of just like wanders around like with his arms just like kind of flopping, kind of like I'm cool, like in that French way. The only yeah. French people can be cool. That's what I mean when I say it's so French. Like, uh, like Alain Delon has the kind of like old like old school movie star face put yeah. the acting chops to back it up i think actually and i thought this when i was watching it the other day especially after seeing sam riley and that um oh god what's it called he's in a bbc um world war ii SSUB. yeah and uh, where he has a mustache and i was like i was thinking that if they were to like remake this or if he was to play a similar role it had to be sam riley have to be sam riley because sam riley has a very similar face the weird thing is that uh alain delon in this movie looks like andrei tarkovsky oh my god he does like i, I was he watching doesn't a... even look like himself which yeah i like, think is, is mad like... for when Corey showed up when he shows up in this movie i was like when is alain delon because <laughs> like when you see him in any of his other roles even in the other like other films that he's been in like melville films yeah like um flick that is like two just, years later it's so it's crazy like it, it it's like that is the power of the mustache no, it's the power of tying uh <laughs> like tightly tying your trench coat cold. like how do you get away like looking cool that way but um i don't know uh, the um, french being french i think that it it, it hits on themes that has percolated throughout uh melvis filmography which is the idea of the code and i think that other reviewers have hit upon it and i think mm. that they're probably right that it comes from actually having fought the french resistance and the uh, the amount of backstabbing and political yeah. infighting that there was in the french resistance that he loves the idea of people that stick to a code. Yeah, and the honor. And the honor among Steve's. Yeah. And, uh, and also, like, it, it's like anti de Gaullist as well. It's like, fuck the police. <laughs> like, it, yeah. Like, even the copper is only interesting in the movie because he uh, sticks to his code. 
and but he respects yeah well he has the, his own the, mo really like he, he seems different to the people he's working with even just even like that scene of how he approaches the um what do you call him santi um that you feel that he he has a relationship and he has like his informants or whatever and because he does things his own way he's not he's kind of not like operating that he's rogue or operating outside the system necessarily but like that he has he has an mo that he knows is knows is effective within this particular crime world that you know may not necessarily have incredibly strong ties to realism but within the universe of melville he you know his he has his his way of working and also his own version of honor and code and obviously melville's looked at this before but the idea of like the two sides of the coin is is obviously something that like not just in heat but obviously like it's done badly as well um in modern versions and it's a storyline and it's a trope that we see an awful lot what i love about this movie is that you're able to watch this and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel stale in this movie. Like it, it's he, it's just used to very interesting effect. And and even like when you were saying about um the honor amongst thieves, that like like how in the end that like you know it's like a heist movie, but you know they don't. It's not. It's not what I think it was like other heist movies and how you know there's always somebody who 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 like turns or you know there there's always some kind of betrayal or whatever. But like in the end, like three men who don't really know each other in the end they die for each other they die for the code because you know there at no point where they was um vogel ever going to you know like it, it's what does he say actually whenever he's leaving yeah the, why if, didn't you tell if him? i told him who you yeah. were he wouldn't have left yeah it's like it's and it, like they can't the economy of like dialogue and this is crazy because it's like it's it's like a movie of um well, it's four minutes before the first line of dialogue yeah. is said it, it is like a movie that it's do it's not it's, doing it's showing visually, showing yeah. not telling it is this is the definition of of showing not telling like there there is no like just like no exposition like it's yeah like even the the scene when uh, he it knows that Vogo is in the trunk of his car yeah. Like he drives to the middle of a field, just lights a cigarette, sits in a tree trunk, and just says, "Oh, you can come out." Yeah. And then, like they immediately, don't even dis- immediately you're anything. like, "You're yeah. like, oh, he knows. He knew he was there." And it's like, "There's no." Yeah, he goes to him straight away. Oh, Paris is your only chance. And your man is like, "Oh yeah, that that, that is a a good point. I'll get I, back in your trunk it's now." Like, oh, can I have a cigarette? Yeah, there you go. Okay, back in the trunk. And then like the fact that. He fucking like trusts him that he's gonna like help him basically because like you're what because he gets out of the car whenever the two guys um whenever the mob boss sends like his two goons and uh, like Corey just gets out of the car strolls over and you can you obviously that's kind of his nature anyways like that he is just the chillest fucker there's no he's incredibly unflappable but um he's like trusting that your man is gonna like get out of the car and fucking help. <laughs> it's like, like he could have just stayed in the boot, like you know, like and got away with it. Like it's yeah. Um, and the whole side plot of his girlfriend, like yeah. that, he just comes out that like, he just wants to get rid of the pictures of her. And the, the... I know, and they're like, "Oh, Corey, you forgot your pictures." And he's like, "Fuck's sake!" And then even that, like, um, obviously this is a film with almost no female characters whatsoever. Um, but that I, I almost like that she's not really a character that she's there behind the door and like oh you know is there going to be a big confrontation or whatever but it's just like you know he just leaves the pictures that's it it's like that's that's that storyline there's no like 
like dramatic kind of um it's not even that it's like a dramatic reveal either that like he stole his woman or whatever or you know like even like there's just like whenever they go to his apartment i do wonder like how do you still have your apartment but um that there's and the windows were open in paris for five years uh, mm. how is the floor not like uh damp to molded shit? Yeah. <laughs> without the snow and everything that yeah. shows in the movie Oh, I love how cold this movie is. Like the color palette is just, oh, like it's so seventies and so like, like desaturated. But but like the, at the same time, like the use of color is really interesting. Like it's oh, it's just oh. even your man the counterfeiters a house that looks like something out of a raw yeah. doll book or so something. Bizarre. Oh my god, that dream sequence! I can't like oh. That, like, it's, oh yeah that's just, it's it's straight out of a david lynch let, let, movie oh, like like the set is exactly like blue velvet or something like. so oh god i it's oh god with the crabs like was, i mean the snakes and the rats are bad like whatever but the crabs and you see like the shadows of them i'm doing crab pencing just then. <laughs> <laughs> realize that people can't see me um but they're like oh god like i physically can't like watch it without my skin crawling like and then you see that whenever he wakes up and like i love his transformation though as well from um from like a complete and utter like shaky alcoholic wreck of a man to like being able to execute like the most ridiculous james bond like um, i do like that whenever they're um obviously we have to talk about the actual heist scene but um that whenever um, it gets tied to the point where he has to shoot the thing and he like knocks over the tripod and everything that's like it's kind of like an art house james bond film even the fact that it's like a jewelry store and everything and it's just like yeah um just because he could yeah, that's the I thing like, and, and no, th- we... this is what he needs to do yeah you know what a, i mean like this is part of his honor it's that that like he you know he needs to be able to do it like the and like the most um like difficult but the most like to himself the most like impressive the, the honest way yeah exactly like he's like, not cheating yeah. using a tripod but it kills me is when he's <laughs> leaving that is the only misstep cinema cinematically the the movie has is when he's leaving and the movie just zooms into him yeah looking at the hole on the there wall are a few and zooms. Then it, no i don't mind zooms it's the 70s there's yeah. gonna be zooms <laughs> but in this case is that it zooms into him and it cuts to the, the, yeah, the, 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 the... the keyhole where he shot the, the bullet at and it just zooms into that and I think that's enough no it cuts back to zooming yeah, even like, closer into him it, we get and it this is important to him. Like, this is becoming so sexualized yeah. as well it's like <laughs> yeah um, what I love about this movie as well is um, just sort of like sequences of and not even just like the heist but sequences of like like people doing things like of, of like intricate sort of procedure that it's done in very like careful precise matter-of-fact ways it's like even whenever he's um making the uh the magic bullet and uh like just a little of it has he killed jfk (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well no um but just like the whole process of him like making and like you know the 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 sound of like the sizzling metal and everything and like the fact that he's doing it in his kitchen you know it's like i just i love all the 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 process of of that that like it's so much that this is a job almost that it's like you know which i kind of enjoy because it's less despite the fact that it is kind of glamorizing like all of these movies it is glamorizing the criminal but at the same time it it kind of makes it into much more of like an art form or of of like process and um 
as much as working out a mystery for and like working on a case for the cop is you know what i mean that it's 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 the careful consideration of like yeah it's what uh melville has always been obsessed with it and like particularly with the samurai that it is the professionalism of yeah. criminals and the fact that it is uh, a job but actually going into the minutiae of uh of committing a caper that it goes into the actual boring bits of actually yeah. going to a field and testing your guns because they haven't been fired for a while yeah. to see which one you're gonna take on the the raid oh his his um his guitar shaped um golden case is my favorite yeah. thing oh mariachi can, <laughs> but even like how he when the when jan goes to in the heist like he goes upstairs to uh, another office to fool the concierge downstairs yeah and then he takes out his shoes mm. and goes down it's done so well like in, 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 in as in really detailed uh, the the mask that they use that uh, it's like so last minute but at the same time it's like yeah if you're buying ski masks in the middle of paris <laughs> yeah um, and they're all like exactly the same as well like just carefully you know and like even like their jackets and everything like they, they have this like perfectly like um carefully considered little uniform and like you can see as well like their little shoes their little soft soled shoes and yeah just even though it's the no point during the heist <laughs> or before the heist you think that these guys are not gonna pull it off without a hitch yeah but that doesn't mean that it's not tense yeah because you know that there's always a chance of failing but if you like the characters that is like this should work we we know our stuff even when they're going through the lasers you're like in a lesser movie it would have been like there'd be like a near miss somewhere you know yeah they nearly knock something over on a laser or yeah your man has like two shots to do it and he misses the first one yeah yeah or yeah whatever in this case is just like it's like watching a clockwork yes on, yeah um, it's like a dance almost yeah like a silent dance and yeah. it's almost there's no music there's no uh anything to try to heighten the sound effects yeah. are really low because they're not making any yeah noise there's just so. that 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 constant drip in like the bathroom just that like and oh i like as well that um the security guard is clearly really good at his job and like clearly you know because he he's obviously he no he notices any noise and is like incredibly suspicious he's not like you know there's no him kind of sitting watching tv eating like fucking snacks in the corner you know what i mean like he's, he's not dipping donuts into coffee like i don't know that is a mark of sophistication what are you talking about <laughs> But like uh, he's um, yeah in, in the sense as well is that it, it highlights even how good they are because the if the security guard is good and they catch him that mm. unaware that you know that the or our characters are very good you know yeah but like I love when the the uh, the Mati copper uh, shows up uh, dressed as the jeweler guy. Oh, I love that with the sunglasses. With the sunglasses and just <laughs> playing the character really badly, but yeah. saying the correct things. 
Yeah, in like the only bar that anyone goes to at midnight in Paris, apparently. But uh, that bar looks like something that, like how every bar would look like if the Nazis had won the war. <laughs> like it, it looks like cabaret or something, you know? Like it's uh, such a weird place. It's like, but like so many of the sequences of that are so good, fellas, as well. That like when the moving around through this like you know weird kind of um and like the, the clientele and everything and like the. The fact that like the bar is so like you know pristine and gilded and like yeah just it's it's not a shithole you know what I mean it's like such an obvious front it's like <laughs> you know no one is under any illusions and like the guy he owns it he knows that the cop knows the cop knows that he knows you know it's... yeah even with the with Santi which is like going back to the themes of Melville it's like I'm not gonna rat and your man is like. Oh, I can give you reasons to rat. Yeah. Because you can do anything, but I'm not going to rat because I am not a rat. Yeah. And there's the idea of actually that that thing of being not a rat, not that you don't rat. Yeah. Is that you're not that kind of person. Yeah. Uh, not that you just haven't done it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, It's... Let's Possibly an issue with this movie, but that would be, like I said, criticizing most of Melville's oeuvre. Yeah. That would be that most of the characters are pretty much not like samey as in the reviewer said that you can't tell them apart. Yeah. But that the th- thing that makes them tick is the same thing. Yeah. But just uh, uh, it just reacts differently to their personalities. Yeah, I guess as well that goes back to like the fact that he is sort of creating his own little you know they're, they're very much Melvillean wor- worlds if you know what I mean that like yeah. that he's operating within that like it's almost like the Melville universe where well, it's even like just... Moby Dick or something <laughs> but like um, isn't that where he got his name I think so yeah that he just took it from because that's not his it's not yeah, it's his a, a what's it Nom de Guerre yeah <laughs> which isn't as cool <laughs> Um, no, no, that's like uh, Nom de Guerre is like war name. It's yeah. uh, what he used to call his name, Champion Melville. That is ah. like uh, the when he goes to war, as in to make a movie, ah. he's Jean Pierre Melville. He's not like this other person. I thought you just. <laughs> what did you say? Nom de Guerre. Ah. Like I might okay. be inventing the pronunciation, yeah, but I know I the like, word. What? <laughs> Uh, I really like the transition when they, like suddenly it snowed. It actually looked like Fargo or something. Like yeah. Middle France <laughs> looks like Minnesota or something. Nowhere has looked looks as cold as that like Paris does in that movie. Like or even whenever they're um they're in the field and uh, uh, when he originally like he can like tells him to come out of the boot or whatever. And uh, I could feel my socks oh getting my wet. God, like, like Jesus and like the mold and everything. Like it's just it's palpable. Just the sound of it, like the squishing boots. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this, like the use of, of, of sound and the the lack of, of sound as well, like in certain instances are like everything is just very well placed, even like the use of music and stuff. And like everything is just sparse and used just at the right moment or in the right amount like in, like not even just in, in scenes like the heist but um it's just like scenes that you know like that are tense but are even more tense because even like whenever he goes to um to to case the 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 jewelry place which is so weird it's like it's like like it's almost like a like a, in a like a 
a residential building or something like the little square um I actually I love those shots of whenever they're driving around and everything and yeah it's just oh, there's a lot of very very nice high and like actual bird's eye view shots in this but uh we'll get to visual stuff um but where he goes to like case the joint or whatever and it's like you know he's the guy is just showing him jewelry and he's literally just looking at cameras and it's like the middle of the day and there's women in the background like buying engagement rings and you're just like <gasps> the guy's gonna fight. you know it's like what 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 possibly is gonna happen there Nothing. yeah what, what crime have you yeah, committed like, going you know what i mean and it's like oh my god it's so but- the thing that killed me at that scene is that I think it shows something of my political views or upbringing. <laughs> I felt kind of bad that your man didn't get the sale. Uh, I but, know, uh, whenever he's letting him out and you can see that he's like, you know, annoyed because he's like, he's, he had to show him the entire fucking yeah, place. Yeah, it could have like, been a good commission or something. Yeah. Like, I could have, like, gotten my wife a new pair of shoes or yeah. my kid, like, get, pay another two months of schooling or yeah, something. Yeah, not living the high life in, like, 1970s Paris. But Paris never looked so good as in this movie. Like, I literally wanted to just catch a plane to Paris after oh, watching this movie. And, like, looks so cool. But, like, it's because Paris is obviously in so many movies. And it, it has that sort of, like, sort of you know, Parisian, like, Frenchness. And that kind of, like, touristy view of Paris. And this is, like, this isn't, um like, particularly a like particularly gritty view. Like, they're not in, like, the suburbs or whatever. Like, you know, but it, it feels like a... It just, yeah, it's just like a, an interesting view of the city that is almost like in the way that New York is treated by cinema, like filmmakers. You know that it's yeah, filmmakers are born there. You don't yeah. see like a shot of the Eiffel Tower or the yeah. the Arc de Triomphe or something. Yeah. Like, and I think that like the only time the Melville actually shot like a a actual. Uh, landmark of Paris is the opening shot of Army of Shadows but that's mm. just because it is the like Nazi dress soldiers goose stepping down <laughs> in front of the Arc de Triomphe which was really hard to get permission to shoot because it was the first time that <laughs> yeah. Nazi soldiers like actually marched in front of the Arc de Triomphe since the war yeah I'm like what year was that like like 64 Six sixty-seven or something. So it's still living in memory, obviously, yeah. because he was in the war. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it would be very weird if it was beyond living memory, but he had fought the war. It'd be like a time machine kind of situation. He is immortal. <laughs> there can only be one. Sorry, that's a tie back to his uh, Get cameo. Him him. His cameo in uh, Breathless. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I always forget that he he's in that movie, but it shows oh, their horrible, horrible friend. Like, what does she what does she ask him? Um, I can't remember. She yeah, it's funny how I went from really loving her and that movie to just finding her really quite irritating. Um, it's, it's, like that's the thing between uh, between um, the Nouveau Vague movement and. Uh, Melville and Bresson, they kind of got swept in yeah. when they're not really a Nouveau Vague filmmakers. Is that they, the Nouveau Vague filmmakers, were mostly like they set out to kind of shock the establishment kind of thing. Yeah. And Melville would just liked to like do his own thing, like yeah. just go and make movies as he thought movies should be made. Yeah. And 
I find um actually or sorry go on but when you're done I have a really good quote like they, it doesn't have that vitality that the other movies have and I'm not saying that it, like the Nouveau Vague movie like the early ones like 400 Blows and Breathless yeah, yeah, yeah. and when it felt incredibly fresh yeah like even like Masculine Feminine and uh, Pure Lufo it's yeah. actually like the early 60s to mid 60s before uh Truffaut became more of a calm influence and more constructive filmmaker mm. and fucking Godard went to North Vietnam to make documentaries <laughs> uh, but yeah like I think that it is interesting that he's lumped in that but anybody that hasn't seen any uh, Melville film and ha- doesn't like Godard let's say don't, yeah. don't lump him into the, no. the same no oh my god no like definitely definitely not like this he's just like I find this um, uh, I think this was Criterion obviously um, released this um, not that long ago I don't think and uh, there's a great quote in there because obviously they always they have like a little page for each film that they've released and there's a great quote um, that uh, they describe him uh, that most contradictory elusive and essential character in narrative movie making an individualistic genre master <laughs> I was like yeah that's pretty accurate yeah like in a he loved his genres. I would love it if he did a western or something like. Yeah. Uh, uh, but even in Kis- I don't know though. He's he's just so at home within this. The crime of- caper. Yeah. Because they aren't like any like we've cited so many influences of other movies, but as well they're uniquely uh, filtered through his mind's eye. Jesus, I sound like a new age fucking. <laughs> use your eye. third eye. Um, <laughs> When the this, f- this is not beyond the lock ring. Yeah, when you when the falcon lands on the branch, it is when the year will turn, kind of thing. I I do think that um, in many ways it is one of his lesser movies, and but with a filmography as he has, saying yeah. that is not dissing the movie whatsoever. Uh, I think that like you can feel in a way the the things that he says in this movie, even though I said already that mm. I came to it after watching him flick that is even more on the nose than this one is. But it, it, it links back too much, like a lot to Le Samurai, to mm. Army of Shadow, to uh, the, the Priest movie. I can't remember what's the name of it. And uh, most of his other work... Uh, but it doesn't have that original take those movies have. Yeah. And not to a detriment because the execution is so perfect. Yeah. But at the same time, it didn't feel the way that I felt watching the other movies that uh, I'd be there going like, oh my God, at every moment because you would forget what he was doing. Yeah, and then he would surprise you, even though you should be expecting it, because this Melville Kelly has like he's a one note director, yeah. but he's a very good note. <laughs> but and in it's this a note that he has mastered. Yeah, and in this case, it's not. I was expecting that note throughout because I could see where the movie was going. Yeah, and he's such a good filmmaker that just by style and pure uh, use of the language of filmmaking, yeah, he gets you to go with the film. But it doesn't surprise you the way that other stuff that he does, he did. Like, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the ending of the movie. And it's something that he is a genius in endings. Really? Why? 
it, it, that was the one too many coincidence too far the the Vogel is able to show up yeah and all these cops that are standing outside ready to pounce don't see him yeah. come in and then as well and managed to catch them really quickly because yeah, they we, run for like a second he doesn't have a car yeah yeah and he goes past Jan with like Jan stopping him or anything yeah and it's a poor plan as well <laughs> and I, I just feel that like for how the movie was building up yeah, I think that even if they were inside the house and they noticed that there was a, the the squeeze was the squeeze was on. Yeah, and they have a shootout there. Even like that, it is so matter of fact that they just like pull out their guns and get shot. Pretty yeah, much by the police, especially because there's the reference of. Like when uh, Jans gets killed by Matty, that is like always using ridiculous amounts of force. <laughs> yeah, I did kind of enjoy that. <laughs> um, he's just a great character in general. But what's your take on the ending of the movie? Um, no, that's interesting because I, I kind of agree with you that it is a little bit far fetched. But I thought maybe that you were going to have a problem with the fact that they, the coldness of their death in the end. But um, I know, like yeah. uh, as soon as yeah, every they, one of them they, showed up, like you have to die, obviously. Yeah, like um, you're, you're watching yeah, the entire so, movie. It's like you're not gonna make it. You're not gonna make it. It feels, it feels like almost like the predestination or something of the film that, like yeah. you know, they were always going to complete this thing. They were always They're always going to complete the red circle. Eggs. No, thank you, butter. Um, <laughs> like that, you know, that they were always going to do this job. They were always going to like be successful of this job, but they were always going to die. Like as as soon as yeah, as you said, like as soon as they came together. So them actually getting shot out in the forest, like the forested area. I kind of like that element of it that it's kind of like coming a full circle to um how whenever um Bogle initially escapes that he's in a forested area as well, and it's quite you know like that kind of desolate, cold like winter forest where there's no coverage that you know there's so despite the fact that you were running through trees, the cops can see you very very easily because there's no foliage, foliage. But um, so I I I liked that um the actual killing of them and even the fact that like Corey dies last and that he he almost like refuses to die as well which I kind of like that he's like no 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 like they had to kill him like four times you know like um which feels sort of true to his character that he is almost like this strange like ghost-like unkillable Iceman but um not Michael Shannon oh Michael Shannon but um uh yeah it'd be so creepy if Michael Shannon played this character but um but another issue that I have, like, that's probably the one scene as well, the, like, with spatial awareness and such, that uh, it misses the mark a bit in the editing. Yeah. Like, when Yan shows up out of nowhere, it's like, where the fuck is he? Yeah, it's... Because he shows up in close-up in front yeah. of everybody, but as well, there was, like, nowhere for him to pop out from. Yeah, it doesn't so... quite... And Just to have them to be killed in the same place. Yeah, because he also <laughs> has the jump on them, has yeah. the gun pointing at Matty and he still doesn't fire first mm. but not in the sense that it, the movie doesn't say that he hesitates to shoot him because they knew each other Yeah, it just says that Matty was faster uh, and or Mate or whatever wrong pronunciation am I let's just assume that we've done it wrong and continue in this, <laughs> this vein like um, <clears throat> yeah the, I like how he's kind of a ghost but at the same time you can tell that there was something there before. That's why I said that it's a great performance. Because yeah. 
you feel like it is somebody that had to repress every sense of self yeah that the, there is and the only real character that surprised me at any moment was the the copper the the ex copper Jan uh, who is the sharpshooter because I thought that he'd be the typical liability uh, yeah. that he'll go <clears throat> back on the sauce and I love that he almost does like he takes the fucking hit flask with whiskey yeah. and sniffs it to but know I don't need it anymore. Yeah. That's it. It's like that for him. It's his, you know. That's why he doesn't want the money. That it's, it's not. It was never about the money. It was about him proving to himself that he could do this. So that then, like, even though it is overdone with like the zooms and everything, like his little sense of personal achievement and how he leaves first because there's no. That's it. It's done for him. He doesn't I was need to. Nearly expecting it to freeze frame with him fist bumping yeah. <laughs> or something. And like, don't you forget about me? Starts playing in the background. <laughs> And that was the ending. Yeah, we never know what finds that happens yeah. to them. <laughs> oh my god, I want to recut that. Uh, but I d- did also really like when uh, Matty finds out that Santi's uh, son is dead, and his first reaction is to abuse uh, the the moment for personal gain. Yeah, and that really makes me like. I love it that the worst character in the movie is the cop who yeah. is also treated somewhat sympathetically until that moment. Yeah. And it's almost that like, tra- cops he- have less, uh, their code is a lot less yeah. uh, strict and moral than the, the thieves, you know? Yeah. And I also realized that I could never be a thief. Just watching that, I was like, yeah, I would have been caught like about 12 times just like i'm the <laughs> clutchiest person ever watching the heist yeah watching yeah. the heist is like uh, i would have knocked into that i would have done this just when they're like helping each other to go through oh the laser God. i was like yeah uh, i would have it's not that alarm about 22 <laughs> times i'd say i can't even play operation like yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh. just I, I can't even shuffle cards never <laughs> uh, I, it's a weird one because i can't quite place uh, because it is such a Melville movie. Yeah. I can't quite place why it is not in the pantheon of his best work because it is ex- it executed is, perfectly. Though, but well, I it guess is regarded that, that way. Uh, yeah. I, I'd be the, for your personal uh, side. Yeah. yeah. I'd yeah. be an outlier there. Like if well, you that, look at critics. It's funny because like what you say about like seeing Unflick first. That I saw this first, so for like this is much more precious to me than like I haven't seen him flick, but to the than Le Samurai and Le Samurai is like his big like held it as his true masterpiece, and it, you know it's got all the attention. Whereas because I saw this first, it's like you know that, that it's funny kind of um, within um, uh, I've heard like a filmmaker's work when you see the films can be very important as and yeah. as as important to as when the person who made it made it you yeah. know like that it's because you write the movie when you watch it yeah exactly. you're the last rewrite let's say yeah. uh, as an audience member the thing that I, uh, nearly killed me is how uh, uh, when vogel is telling him that he should go on the jewelry deal yeah and he's like no you should hang back they're like a married couple yeah like uh, i could just imagine them getting away with it and then breaking off and it's like We'll always have Paris. <laughs> I love their relationship. Like, it, it, I feel like it would have, um, that heist would have had less 
impact if you didn't completely buy yeah. that they they're they're in it now like they they are they're buddies now yeah like, like they even, even when they they're disagreeing about going to santi's yeah. and they go like they both vouch for santi and uh, uh cory goes yeah if both of you say it we'll yeah. do it is it's not even he knows that it's the wrong thing to do like he was right at it. the end He'll do it for his buddies yeah because like you trust them and mm. you have to if you trust somebody even if you disagree you have to go along even though there'd be a life if the cory had followed his initial instinct ah yes but that was never fate that was never their fate the circle needed to close (laughs) so as this podcast needs to close Ah, segue man today, segue, uh, radio broadcasting hero here. If only we had sponsors and we could have some nice uh, segues into sponsors, that would be very John Favreau. Just so I can cook, uh, people that listen to a lot of podcasts will know Mm. which ad I'm talking about. Uh, But Orla, what's your favorite thing about the movie? Ah, just this precision in every aspect of it, just the sparseness of everything like the the, the dialogue the, the sound the like the, the landscape the like every shot feels incredibly precise nothing like no shot feels cluttered uh, even like a scene where they're in a tiny little box room with like striped fucking wallpaper and there's animals all over the floor and like you know it doesn't feel everything feels very well placed within like it's just yeah, and that cut as well is that that's the introduction to the character. You haven't seen him or that room <laughs> yeah. before in the movie. It just, like I said, that I was tired watching it. I was like, am I hallucinating here myself? Because it just jumped into it. Um, my favorite thing would be, yeah, like I'd say the, 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 the precision. As he said, it, it, it feels like he somebody gave him a script that was like 500 pages long and yeah. he just chucked half of it in the bin. Yeah. You can imagine went, him there with like just a red pen going, nope, 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 yeah. nope, nope, I'm nope, I'm just nope, going to nope. use the camera to yeah. do all of this shit that yeah. you're saying. It's like, every line of description, every line of dialogue, every <laughs> just gone. Yeah, it is stripped back to its bare essentials. Yeah, that, uh, that's Beautiful. why I, I said in the beginning that it's the leanest two hours and 20 minute film I've ever seen. Yeah. The, like, not a minute is really wasted in it. And, like, if the film was even 10 minutes longer, it wouldn't even feel that long either. Yeah. So, in a, like, I think it's a perfect length and my issues with it are not... It's the, the thing with Melville that you, you're not going to get overtly sympathetic characters or... Yeah. Any kind of depth that it's revealed on screen so everything that you take from the film is that you're willing to put into the movie yeah. you know and as somebody that likes his work like i'm willing to put in quite a lot yeah. but uh same time is not the kind of movie that you can just but it is entertaining. Oh but, yeah, but and there like are a, several quite like funny moments as well, and like. But as you said in the in the beginning of the podcast, that um, it is entertaining. But the first time that you watched it, you took it at face value, and I think yeah. it is a movie that is extremely easy to take at face value yeah. because it is entertaining. Yeah, and, and then, very cool. Yeah, so cool. You wish you were as cool as these people. <laughs> well, like I prefer being in a life. Um, <laughs> yes. What's your least favorite thing? Um, 
probably probably the mishandling just like the small little mistakes in the ending probably but even then the ending is still powerful so they're like it's small problems but not it didn't like in any way ruin it but yeah just that it doesn't quite stick the landing as they say yes (laughs) and uh, what was your least favourite thing my least favourite thing was the laser disc that I had this movie I ended up buying on flick first um (laughs) No, I, I think that laser already uh, back in the day, um, but now my least favorite thing is like it, it'd probably be the ending or just the, but the ending as well comes from the fact of the too many co- coincidences. Is that like yeah. it, it lost me when uh, Vogel showed up as he did? Yeah, even if it was the case that he was hiding in the car or something, and just you have a a shot of him like popping out from the back seat and going to yes. <laughs> Corey! <laughs> or, or or something like anything but just like busting in through the window it just felt like a, you know the in family guide the 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 fucking uh jug of juice <laughs> that just breaks out through the wall oh no oh no, no. oh yeah uh, like it just felt like that because it, as well like it, <laughs> that's so funny about that is as soon as you said family guy i knew what you were gonna say because it's true. It's as well. It's completely out of context where the scene is. It's just like they're talking, and he just shows up. <laughs> oh, that was um, the circle. Gather, gather, gather. gather. Uh, that was the red circle or le circle, um, <laughs> which Ricardo liked. Um, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Immensely, like yeah. Like I said, like it is probably not his best movie but it's like getting like the best brand of wine and saying this wasn't a particularly good year <laughs> uh, as we are like in a french theme kind of thing very nice uh so <laughs> next week's film is ricardo's pick it's in the mood for love oh so orla where can they find us uh, they can find us on Twitter at the Rec Game, on Facebook the Recommendation Game, or they can email us at the Recommendation Game at gmail dot com. And you can also find us on Dublin Digital Radio's Mixcloud if that's your preferred listening uh, location. <laughs> uh, so I was Orla McNeilis. I was Ricardo Deacon. See you next week. Thanks for listening.